Alright, this morning would you open your Bibles to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. As we just sang of the servant of the Lord. And as you're turning there, remember this is one of four of the so-called servant songs of Isaiah. There's an unofficial fifth servant song. That was the text we sang uh, in the third stanza. It doesn't actually mention the servant. Um, but it still nonetheless contains much of the same uh, description and same materials. But this morning, we'll be introduced to this servant, chiefly in his individualized form, although Israel is called the servant, and the higher critics love to make much of that. Uh, and yet here, uh, we're, we're given an insight into this individualized servant. That will be made more clear in the second servant song. But I'll just read the opening four verses of this, and this morning we'll spend just a few minutes considering those. Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Let's uh, ask God to bless our time this morning in his word. Father, we thank you that you've revealed your son Jesus Christ in promise, by promise and shadow in these pages. Lord, we hear of the servant and we see your son Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so, Father, fix our eyes more firmly upon him this morning. And as we consider his work on behalf of his people, indeed his work on on our behalf, we pray, O Lord, our hearts will uh, jump, they will exalt in you, and that we might uh, find further opportunity to bring you glory in all that we do. Hear our prayer now for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, this... uh, could be a much longer message. In fact, I've usually preached this whole first servant song over the course of two sermons, which get very long. But I'm going to try to get us out nice and early this morning, uh, always aiming for that quarter after thing, though I'm not always very successful at that. I'm going to dive right in. What we see in these opening verses is chiefly God's revelation and God's care. Okay, God's revelation that he sends forth by means of the servant and then also God's care that he accomplishes through the servant. Right? This whole passage shows his work, and, and it's work that's equipped by the Father. And keep in mind, too, that this work here of revelation and care chiefly is, being an, is chiefly answering the failure of the idols, the so-called gods of chapter 41. But let's look at these two elements, revelation and care. First of all, the servant, indeed our Lord Jesus Christ, reveals God's truth to the world. He brings revelation. Now that might strike you as a bit strange because we've not been reading the word revelation, but the word justice. Now the word justice is indeed a central concern of Servant Song 1, and I'm not avoiding it because of of my uh, aversion to the woke or anything like that, but I think there's more going on here with the word bishpot, justice, Uh, than merely what we think of in terms of doing justice or bringing justice for those who have been wronged. The word justice, mentioned in verse 1, verse 3, verse 4, right? Justice is a major theme of this passage. Now, of course, it is one of the prophets too. 
as they regularly inveigh against the mistreatment of the poor, the mistreatment of widows. We think in Micah what we've been looking at of, of the, the grotesque ways in which the land barons have been taking advantage of those being displaced by Assyria's military activities in the land of Judah. Justice is a significant concern. Justice is, of course, a major theme in society around us, although much of what is being promoted today in the name of justice, I would suggest, is actually unjust. Indeed, much of what is promoted under the name justice today is downright harmful to those who have been wronged by individuals or wronged even by institutions. Can't really delve into that this morning. It's kind of a, a rabbit trail you can get me going on uh, quite, quite some way. I guess you'll have to go to Dr. Watkins' class uh, on Thursday night, right? There, I'll just defer, defer to him on all those matters. But, but I bring all this up in this language of justice because it's easy to misunderstand how the servant's work is being presented here. Or maybe I should say too narrowly conceive of the work that he's doing here. It's not that the servant isn't establishing justice for those who have been sinned against. He certainly does that. It's just that Isaiah here is using that term mishpat, that term justice, as a more general term for God's revelation of his will. Now, this is not unique to Isaiah. Exodus 21, verse 1, and Exodus 24, verse 3, speak of all the rules and ordinances of the covenant code and describe it as mishpat. Deuteronomy 4 and 5 uses that word mishpat or justice in parallel with the words testimonies and statutes that God has revealed to Israel. Already you're seeing a wider semantic range of the word mishpat than the English word justice, right? I think it's interesting how Exodus 26 verse 30 even uses the word mishpat to describe the blueprint or the plan of the tabernacle. There's a number of examples we could continue to look at. But there's something within the passage here that helps us to see this broader range of the word justice. Look again at verse 4 and look at the poetic parallelism that is taking place. He will not grow faint or discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law, his Torah, from Yarah to teach, well, or to shoot an arrow, but teach, teaching. I think there's something being shown here. The establishing of justice in the earth is equated with distant lands awaiting Yahweh's law, awaiting Yahweh's Torah, that is his revelation of all that is good and righteous and true. The reason that all the nations stream into Zion in Micah chapter 4, to hear the teaching of Yahweh. And look why this is important here, because back in chapter 41, verses 22 and 23, God challenged the idols to bring forth a word of revelation. Let me point that out. Verse 40, 41, verse 22, let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome, or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Hear that? Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Right? Here's this throwdown, this challenge. Tell us, you idols. Declare to us, you idols. We want to know something. Teach us, O idols. And yet in verse 26, it says that there was none who declared it, none who proclaimed, none who heard your words. 
Verse 28 will even say that among the idols, there is no counselor. There's no one who can give an answer. And this shows then that the servant is succeeding where the idols fail. The servant is the true agent of revelation, the one who truly brings Yahweh's teaching to a hungry world. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the prophet like Moses. And think of how fitting that is for our day. We learn increasingly of how the numbers of churchgoers is dwindling and dwindling here in North America. Many people think that's immediately a bad thing, although many of us also recognize that many of those who are dwindling out were not really believers to begin with. But nonetheless, this is a very fitting time to bring the Word of God to a world that is flailing due to silence. Right? The counsel of the world uses words, and yet at times they're as good as no words at all, sometimes are even worse than that. Think of today's idols who give advice about the good life. Today's idols, today's idolatrous messengers opining about morality or ways to spend time, opining about the best ways to educate kids, ways to maximize pleasure. Many words today go forth saying, let it go, let it go. Right? Just be who you want to be. Be who you feel you are. And because of this, people are drowning. I mean, what could be better than hearing, I've got all the answers inside of me, and yet in reality, when we look inside of us, we see we've got a pretty mixed up and contradictory set of desires. People are dying inside. People's lives are crumbling, racked with anxiety, racked with meaninglessness, flitting from idea to idea, flitting from activistic cause to activistic cause, hoping something, anything might be the thing that makes everything click. And yet the servant continues today to do the very thing that the idols cannot do. He placards to a hungry and hurting world the Creator's infallible word, the Creator's plan for the proper ordering of life, the proper ordering of society. Christ has given us His word in Scripture. And those who hear it find light and life. To a world that is burned out from listening to the failed messages about the good life, the counselless, answerless silence of the idols. To that world, Christ brings forth that revelation justice that answers the world's deepest needs and longings. It's a servant bring God's, brings God's revelation to the nations. But that brings us to the second thing we're going to consider is how in his patience and gentleness, the servant demonstrates God's care. Now, on the one hand, verse 2 shows the servant coming on the scene, but not with guns blazing. He will not cry aloud, verse 2 says, or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. If you have your Nestle alarmed out, you'll find that Matthew 12, verses 15 to 16 actually cites this passage, cites this verse, describing Christ's own withdrawal. And how he orders his followers not to make him known. Right? It seems to have this particular verse in mind. Christ's kingdom is going to be announced, announced in all its fullness, but not yet. Jesus was not yet announcing the final day of judgment. His soft-spokenness here in verse 2 is an exhibition of God's patience. 
And yet verse 3 is one of the most sublime depictions of Jesus' gentleness. The servant is not impatient or rough with those who struggle with sin and doubt. Jesus, the servant, doesn't say, buck up to those who have been hurt by others, to those who bear the scars and the insecurities of being hurt by others. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. These verses always remind me of two specific things. I don't often have a book full of great illustrations, so whenever I do, I like to really run with it. But two things, two things I remember. In California, I had agapanthas. Anybody know what agapanthas are? I don't think they grow much. They're flowers, yeah, but they don't think they grow far north of like Indianapolis. Maybe they do. Somebody's got them in a greenhouse. But, but they're these, these flowers, right, with long stalks, and at the top was sort of like a little little explosion of a bunch of little purple blooms that would open up at different times. Agapanthas. The amazing thing, though, if you have kids around, they like to run over those and break the stalks. And these agapanthas would start to lean as they got bruised. And I remember time after time, I'd see an agapantha stalk starting to go crooked. And what did I do, being the generous, kind man I am? Yoink! I'd rip it out, throw it in the trash, and be done with it forevermore. Right? No patience. No patience for bent agapanthus. There were plenty more. Those things were coming up left and right. So I'd break them and toss them. Another illustration, think of those little tiny tea light candles. You've seen those, right? You put them in, put them in jack-o'-lanterns if that's your thing, or you put them in centerpieces, okay? Tea lights with short wicks, and you get them out of the package, and you need sort of a blowtorch to even get them lit, because they're so short. And, and when you get too short of one, or I should say whenever I'd get a short one, I'd try once, twice, and then throw it, try the next one. Because they're only about five cents each. If they don't burn right away, we toss them. I think those are nice illustrations that help show something much more significant as Jesus, the servant, relates to human agapanthus stalks and to human tea light candles. When we are weak and tired, friends, when the general suffering of life in a fallen world, when, when, the, when people's careless actions, when people's careless words, or even unintentional actions, when people's bullying or physical, emotional, spiritual abuse have bruised you, Jesus will never break you off. When you're at the end of your own wick, not as good as other people, not as smart as your classmates, not as clever as your co-workers, not as successful as your family members, not as well-liked even by your neighbors. Jesus will never snuff you out. I love how question and answer 31 of the Heidelberg Catechism, if you want to turn to page 877 in your Trinity Psalter hymnal, you'll find question 31 there. I love how this question describes our Lord Jesus in ways that correlate so nicely with this first servant song. Question and answer 31, page 877, you'll find it on the left column there. Why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? Answer, because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance, our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually intercedes for us because the Father, I'm sorry, before the Father, 
and our eternal King who governs us by His Word and Spirit and who guards us and keeps us in the deliverance He has won for us. See that He teaches us revelation justice as our prophet and king. He fully reveals to us God's secret counsel about our redemption. God's not hiding anything back about our redemption in Scripture. When we enter into God's presence, after we close our eyes in death, we don't need to worry that there was, there was fine print. He governs us by His Word and Spirit, keeping and upholding us in our redemption. And as our high priest, he continues to intercede for us, having delivered us from the sin and curse unto God's favor. Friends, the servant of the Lord is our Messiah. And so we don't live in silence. The words of his heart flow for us from his word. And so let's turn to it daily. Let's listen for it. Let's continue the work we're doing here, diving deeply into God's word. And remember, we don't serve an impatient and rough sovereign, but one who is for us, one who has equipped and given us his servant, who binds us up, coaxes us along, coaxes our smoldering wicks along, will never break us off or snuff us out. And in that showdown then with the idols that we see in chapter 41, God has put forward his servant And it's significant that he ends this first servant song with verses 8 and 9 with a closing argument that will end all deliberation. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The new things that he declared in Isaiah's day as yet to come are from our perspective very much in the past because God has sent his son and we look back to the incarnation and the ministry and the life, death and resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus. He has poured out his spirit. We look back to those glorious events of Pentecost and the new redemptive historical epoch that was initiated then. And our Lord is victorious in the Son, enabling us to rest and rejoice in His victory each and every day of our lives. Thanks be to God for His servant, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, once again, You have surprised us with such a a sweet and wondrous and awe-inspiring message of one, yes, who is mighty, One, yes, who is the king, one who has power to send his message throughout the earth, one who can thwart all the so-called gods, the huge numbers of those who rally around those so-called gods. We are in awe of your might and at the same time are so thankful for your gentleness, so thankful that you do not snuff us out, you do not break us off. And so, Father, as we go about the remainder of our day, We pray you would be glorified with our work, be glorified with our efforts, and continue, O Lord, to keep our eyes fixed upon you. Hear our prayer now for Jesus' sake. Amen.